welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here at the Houston Cannon with John Mark Cavett, CEO of Rigor, Culture Champion, BCM Gene Therapy Champion, father of five and a husband. John, I've got to say that's quite the list of titles. Out of all five of those positions, which one is your favorite? Well, uh, husband and father, of course, you know, that's Good the, answer. that's the 99% of my job. So the rest of it is filled with the other things. That's but those are my priority all day. And we're going to talk about how you juggle all that cuz, you know, a father for myself, I'm a father too, certainly not a CEO, but you know, I feel like I have a lot of things that I'm juggling around. So those those are some pretty critical positions you have. <laughs> so we're going to talk about how you manage all that. But I have to ask you, out of genuine curiosity, what was the driver for stating your marital and parental status on LinkedIn profile? And what's it like having five kids? Because, you know, it's, it's interesting because most people don't put that on there. And so I, I felt like there was something beyond surface that really drove you to putting that on there. And so I'd like to talk about that, if you don't mind. Yeah. So I've always said anytime that you're sitting in a corner office, it's like an exit only link. You know, it's like these are temporary jobs we have, you know, whether it's a CEO or you're a salesperson or it doesn't matter what we're what we're doing. Those things really can't identify us. They can't be our identity because they're just too temporary. And, yeah. and so I'm more so identify with being a father and a husband because that's the one thing that will never change. Wow. And and so that's not a temporary gig for me. So yeah, that's that's my identity, I think. And the rest are just temp jobs. Yeah. No, that's a great answer. I thought that was interesting. And and you're right. It's you know, growing up, you know, I grew up playing a lot of sports and people always told me, Don't let the sports identify you. You know, yeah. but you know, the things you do beyond that are who you are and what you truly do. And that's you know, you even look at professional athletes is once they're done the league, then they're like, Well, who am I? And and right. you can't let sports or work or these extracurriculars you know, they can't define you. You have to define yourself within and beyond. So that's interesting. I can identify with that, but I thought that was pretty cool. So again, this is an oilfield podcast, but we started talking about it and I wanted you yeah. to, to hold tight until now. Tell me about BCM gene therapy. What is that? And yeah, go ahead. Well, I have, so four boys and a girl and, and three okay. of my boys are legally blind and they have a rare disorder that they have only their blue their blue cones. And okay. so what is that? In your eye and your retina, you have red, blue and green cones. Huh. And that helps you take in the light and, and the the image from through your lens and and it converts it into a message to your brain. And so basically those those photoreceptors are not there. So only they only have 7% of their vision. So wow. we are working on a gene therapy that will basically package inside of a virus a the protein that's needed to grow those cones and 
And so we've kind of, you know, we've cured it in a mouse and, uh, and even a larger mammal. And so it's just kind of just a matter of time before we're starting to do human trials on it. So the idea is to, is to hopefully by the grace of God, you know, cure their blindness. That's the idea. That is fascinating. So you said you were able to do it in mice and then a larger mammal. How do you quantify or validate that if well, you can't actually when talk I say to them? It's not me. First of all, there's, you know, brilliant. I'm just the father and I'm a, I'm a liaison with the scientific community and our foundation, BCM Families Foundation. Awesome. And I have a partner there. Her name's Renata. She's in Italy. And we have helped fund through the foundation the research that kind of creates that animal model. And then there's different ways to, they, they put little electrodes on them and it's, okay. a, it's amazing the technology they're able to see, you know, that improvement. And so okay. it's the scientist. It's a slow process, very slow process. And safety is a big factor of things, but it's something that gene therapy is part of our world now and even part of kind of how we got the vaccine. So it's a different type of gene therapy, but the vaccine's similar, you know, similar approach to for for COVID. Wow. So there's a lot of diseases that are going to be cured through gene therapy in the next couple of decades. Wow. That's crazy. So especially blindness. There's a lot of blindness that'll be cured in the next 20 years. So not to put you on the spot, but like, do you know any, like say U.S. statistics of like how many people within the U.S. are blind and like what the, the societal impact could be or the societal benefit could be for being able to produce this type of thing. So it's it's a rare, you know, blindness almost every blindness is is a rare disorder. And so and there are multiple there are, just not speaking to blindness, but there's 7,000 rare diseases out there. And ours okay. is one of them. So BCM is one out of every 100,000 people. So there's only just a, you know 3,000 folks that may have it in the U.S. And so it's just not, maybe my math was wrong there. So don't, people can correct me if my math was wrong, but it's not very, it's not very many. Yeah. yeah. And that's just one disease and there's, you know, there's multiple diseases. So it's in the, you know, I'm sure all the different retinal disorders, I'm sure it's in the, the hundreds of thousands of people that are blind, but you know, this is only one of those diseases and it's, it's a stepping stone for other ones though, because it's course. kind of low hanging fruit out there. Wow. It's one of the reasons we were able to get support from biotech to do it. But wow. That's incredible. And I'm sure there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people within the U S and throughout the world that could have a better life because of yeah. the success, hopefully of, of this. Well, maybe actually drive, you know, maybe instead, because um, my kids will not be able to drive unless that they have some sort of of healing and they're not going to be able to have a driver's license because they don't have a good enough vision. Wow. And how old are they? They're 13, 10 and eight are the ones that, that are wow. legally blind. So, and not to get too personal, but has there been a root cause to identify as to yeah, why? Yeah, it's genetic. So, so it at genetic. first okay. you think you don't know what it is, right? You, you just kind of, they have little symptoms. And then once that, because the technology is a little different now and, and the medical community is more understanding and more proactive we were able to get a diagnosis, but it still took us several years, even living in Houston. And mm. and then you trace it back to, well, grandpa has it. We always thought it was some eye injury. Right. And then there's several other people that have it. And then you start connecting the dots. Then, it, and- then, it, then you feel sort of silly because it was always obvious, but it was just right there under your nose. You didn't realize it was a genetic disorder. Holy shit. And so, yeah, yeah, but it's, yeah, hey, it's just a challenge that they face. But you, if you were to see them function, you wouldn't think that they were blind. Okay? Really? 
until they kind of work Can you describe with an example? Yeah, so, well, you know, if you were to write blue on that white marker, I mean, a blue marker on that white board right there, then it would be invisible to them. If they were to walk through here, then they would just walk through normally. But unless I knew I was here, they would have to get within two feet of my face to, to basically be able to see my face. So yeah. think about it, school being able to spot their friends on the playground. It's very difficult for them to do that yeah. or at a lunch table or, or whatever. So, but you know, they can't play baseball or, or anything like that. And the reading's really tough because things have to be a lot bigger. Of course. So when you see 2200, then, you know, what we see at 200 feet, they have to be within 20 feet okay. to see. Wow. So if it gives you the perspective. Yeah. That's incredible. And as a father of two children, I think that reemphasizes, you know, for us as people to wake up and be grateful. I mean, just as we take it for granted, just being able to see, breathe, walk, listen, it's fascinating. And so I commend you, you know, from the bottom of my heart that, that what you're doing and helping your kids, I can only imagine you've got, not only do you have that, you know, you've got five kids. Right. <laughs> so, you know, five kids alone would be an absolute challenge to say the least. If you don't mind, I mean, what led you down the path of like, you know what, we're going to commit ourselves to, to trying to help and, and come up with a cure or some sort of therapy? I mean, did Junior, obviously there were some deep conversations you had with your wife or the mother of your children and just kind of like, can you walk through at what point you said, you know what, like we're going to dedicate ourselves to doing this? Yeah, well, the it took forever to just to get a diagnosis so we mm. traveled you know but we you know we were here in houston so we had all the best doctors here but yeah we tried very hard to get a diagnosis and so you have this something inside of you that that maybe you've heard a story or you you believe that there's some you know maybe that you could be that that dad or that mom that that rallied the troops together and somehow worked with a scientist to surely there's got to be a way to improve my children's life and improve their trajectory. And so it's just that deep love for your children that you can't really describe and that you'll do anything for them. And so, and there's just, you know, once that you, and I have a science background Mm -hmm. and even a medical background too. Ah. And so, so it wasn't, it wasn't hard for me to understand how it worked. And it just made sense to me that there's got to be a way to do it. And so once you do your research, you realize it's kind of like the oil field. It's a small community. Right. The gene therapy community is a very small community. And so once you learn one scientist, then you find the next and the next and the next. It's one very small network all over the world. And then, then we stumbled upon the foundation that had started about the same time that we were starting to, to look for things. Mm. And so it just kind of turned into that. Now I'm on the board of that that foundation and we're working very hard to do this. And, you know, hopefully, and I can't say who the biotech partner is, but hopefully we're going to be starting human trials this time next year. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. Again, you know, I hope the best and everyone out there listening, you know, do a prayer or cross your fingers or whatever it is, but I think that's amazing. And, and so I commend you for that. Anyway, you mentioned a little bit about your background. I'm fascinated to hear a little bit more. So you, you're obviously in the oil field now, but you started off in medical or, or, or actually, <sighs> okay, you know what? let's go back even further. Where yeah. are you from? So I'll start with, I was valedictorian of an 11 student 1A class in Silverton, Texas. And okay, where's that? Up in the panhandle. Ah. And, you know, I wasn't the best athlete, I would suppose. And so in a small town like that, it caused me to kind of 
pursue different things. And so I thought I was going to go to medical school. So I became an EMT earlier and then even a paramedic. And that's kind of where the medical side came through. And I was, you know, I thought maybe I was interested also in, in ministry because I was, you know, my dad was a church minister. And, and so I had become a licensed Baptist minister kind of through college and and because I was a musician also, I was a no kidding. I was a music minister. What'd you play? I played the piano and guitar and really? a few other instruments and so Man, you got uh, a man of many talents. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm kind of a master of none, if if you imagine that. But yeah. I you know, I was a and I could sing, so I was a worship pastor and then also what? a youth pastor. Can you sing as just sing the verse <laughs> quick? You just put yourself on there. You have to sing oh, something. No, no, no. Yeah, I'll, I'll think of something. Okay, else. Before we're that. done here, we're, you're gonna it, just a, just one bar. That's it. That's all I'm looking for. One bar of, uh, I'll, of anything. I'll, I'll give you something in a minute. So, okay, perfect. Uh, yeah, give you time to think about it. <laughs> my, let my voice wake up a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I shouldn't have said the singing part. But oh yeah, I'm you got to be careful on my podcast. Yeah. If you say you can do something, you got to prove it. So uh, anyway. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm not gonna let you go without one. The, okay. Well. <laughs> Then, good morning, good morning. How about that right there? That was good pretty good. You, you could right, tell. So. You you hit the notes there. I yeah. like that. Well, it's, you know, like I said, I had a late night with the kids last night, so we're the coffee's working, but I appreciate the chance to audition. Yeah, well, you know, and, and I hate to cut you off, but it was funny because you called me, and it was about, you know, we're set up to go at 830, and you called me, hey, you know, I'm this and that, and then you text me, sure, a little late, and you say you had a late night. And, of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, CEO, Oilfield, he was out with a bunch of clients last night, just tearing the streets up, probably got in about four in the morning after dropping all the clients off safely, of course. And no, you were up grinding away at being a dad. Good for you. Yeah. Well, that's that's kind of the way it works, you know, especially you don't get to have those nights anymore. So no kidding. <laughs> Far and few between, huh? But I appreciate I would have probably preferred one of those nights, even though I don't remember the last time I've had one of those nights. But. <laughs> well, I'm sure your kids and, and family deeply appreciate it. But yeah. So again, you, you're a singer in a ministry, okay, you're so in medical, I, and all I, this other um, stuff. There was a side of me that was business, and then there, that really wanted to kind of tear it up in the business world. And I, I was always an entrepreneur. I had snow cone stands. I had, wow. I had a lawn business, and you know, plus I worked on the the ambulance, and and so I worked a lot. But then there was this ministry side to me also, and so out of college, I ended up being a, a school teacher in Midland High School. So that's where I kind of moved to Midland in the 90s after after college. And and I was a youth pastor and an AP chemistry teacher. And so, mm. and then I got married and I decided I need to make more money. And hey, <laughs> I funny. even started a couple of hair salons out in Midland, Texas. Wow, and you have entrepreneurship I've done in your blood, a few man. things. Holy and, smokes. And then I went to work for one of my students' parents as a salesman and really liked it. And it was in the well testing world and all the way into to, you know, working for select energy services while well, I worked for oil states, I guess, is we got bought by oil states at Well Testing Inc. And then then I worked for select energy services after the my stint at Well Testing, aka oil states. Yeah. And then on to be the CEO of a of a well testing company as well. And then now I've kind of moved away from the upstream energy space to more technology. And that's you know why I've joined Rigor. I have a real passion for I think helping companies develop their vision and to manage their business. And in my view, you know, my successes have come in being able to sort of outpace my competition. And in a commoditized service world, you know, you you have something that everybody else is offering. 
and a lot of people are using, but how do you differentiate yourself? And so I've always tried to just find a way, whether it's through the culture with how you treat your people and, you know, in the retention rate, because, you know, retention rate's really terrible in, in the OFS space. Yes. Or in how you manage your business, which is now it's harder to treat your, you don't have the money to treat your people right with money. So you have to do different things for them and mm-hmm. you have to manage your business in a way that they really want to be there in this new millennial generation. Yeah. You know, you've got to give them some kind of passion for their work other than money. Yes. And so that's where the culture comes in, but also just through professionally managing the business and through digital transparency and digital uh, digitization of the oil field, you know, rigor is I think recreating the oil field culture in a way that is on par with the 21st century. Cause I feel like that we've kind of been behind. We've been running off of tablets and, and Excel spreadsheets for so long. And that's just, to me, it's not acceptable anymore. And it's almost not good stewardship because we have a very small margin that we're making from our services now. And you've yep. got to do everything you can to kind of maximize that. And that's you, what we're doing at Rigor. You do. And, and there's something to add to that is, is you talk about, you know, trying to get caught up to the 21st century. Well, not only is it important for our clients, it's important for us as an industry to attract talent. Mm-hmm. I mean, how hard is it now, you know, to find, I say kids, you know, graduate students or, or people coming out of high school I don't know any high school kid that say, you know what, I want to get into oil and gas. They want to go work for Google, Apple, Amazon. They want to move to, you know, Silicon Valley, Austin, you know, these big tech hubs. Why? Because they have such good marketing and they offer sort of that community, trendy culture and then the values and the work from, you know, different spaces and, and just they want to make work fun and, mm-hmm. and they want to give people the opportunity to be creative and, and give them the opportunity to you know, really have enough freedom to create value in ways that they want versus yeah. your job analysis is here's the job description and here's, you know, the the specifications of your job. Do this, do these tasks, nine to five, whatever, eight to four. It is not happening anymore. People are not yeah. going to want, no one's going to come and work and do that forever anymore. Like it's just. And, and the companies that have realized that are going to be on top. They're thriving. And- yeah, they are. And there's several companies that are thriving in the in the energy space, in mm-hmm. the OFS space, because they believe that investing back in their people in a way that is not just money and not just, hey, you have a job, so I get to tell you what to do. I, get, I pay you, so therefore, you know, I kind of own you. Right. Those days are over. They are. And so it's that high-performing culture that where you have a lot of transparency and we where people don't have a lot of places to to hide and you, you know, to the good to great model where you get the right people on the bus and the right seat and the wrong people off the bus, you know, all of that is starting to, I think, come into play with OFS and digitization is a huge part of that. It is. And I completely forgot. And and I apologize to Technip FMC, who's my sponsor. I want to give them a plug. So before we keep going, I need to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, Technip FMC. Their new and integrated iComplete ecosystem is digitally enabled and delivers efficiency benefits by dramatically reducing the components and connections while simultaneously providing real-time data to operators about the WellPad operations. Technip FMC is continuing to push the limits in order to achieve full frac automation. To discover more about the benefits of iComplete, click the link in the show notes or check them out on LinkedIn. We got going on such a good conversation, I forgot to plug them. Well, so, uh, it's, you know, it's still it's it's actually pertinent to our conversation, you know, and it's this you can see that people 
are spending energy and resources into the technology that drives our our oil and gas production. It and is. those that are doing that are are going to do well. Yeah. Those that are forgetting to do that, that think that they can just go by the same old rules, are going to struggle. And so, you know, I consider it a mission, a personal mission with rigor to go help those companies yeah. that are wonderful entrepreneurs that have built a great business, but to help them survive through what I think are going to be some some good years where the oil price is going to be nice and firm for mm-hmm. us, but also where capital is going to be very strict. We're going to have a lot of capital discipline. You know, you and I talked about that a little bit before the podcast and yeah. that's not going away anytime soon. It's in not. that we're also, we're companies we're used, you know, before like 2015 or 2018 probably is, is a year where it kind of stopped, but you had a lot of buying and selling of OFS companies because they're private equity backed, you know, and, they would build it and they would sell it. And so they didn't necessarily spend a lot of time and energy putting together the systems and processes that are going to kind of create this digitization culture that I'm talking about. It's right. We'll talk about, and, and I want to switch gears real quick yeah. because on your title, you have culture champion. Yeah. Because I mean, that is to me is such a loose term. Yeah. Everyone throws culture out there, culture this, culture that. What does culture mean to you? I think having, being able to share your identity whatever your kind of your permanent identity is. So that's whether you're a father or you're a husband or a wife and a mother or you're single, but whatever your kind of a permanent, permanent personal identity is for us to be able to just borrow that passion just for, you know, a little while, Mm -hmm. you know, for the time that you're with the company to be able to engage into that person. And so you have to do something for them to liberate them. Yeah. And so it first starts with your own personal attitude that you just have to have this personal attitude that, Hey, we're here, we're here to work hard, but we're here to enjoy each other and we're here to have an exceptional, you know, outcome. So I think, you know, fighting for that success while not giving up the personal roles that we have in life is important, that balance, but it's important to have that success at work so that we can all enjoy it together. So we can kind of engage that passion, liberate that person's spirit in the workforce, you know, and that's something I've really enjoyed at Rigor is just that the group is so well aligned. There's the U.S. side and then there's the Canadian side. And there's a lot of those guys are, are Russian. And so yeah. the Russian Canadians. And so I think you've met Michael before. I did. Founder. Michael and Nikolai. Nikolai. Yeah, they They're, both came down here. Right. And I, yeah. I always tell people, hey, they have a very thick Texan, East Texan accent. So. <laughs> yeah. But they're just, they're awesome guys. They're extremely passionate oh, yeah. about their business. Yeah. And that passion rubs off. Okay. And so it rubs off to every single person in the organization. Mm. And so we carry that all the way to our client. Yes. And we are passionate about serving our clients. So I think it's this servant mentality, Mm. this servant leadership. And um, that's huge. And just not being about the drama. So just no Mm. drama zone where we're not talking about people. There's no, we don't have time. There's way too much transparency for there to be. Hey, yeah, that that guy, I can't believe he did that, you know. Well, and, well politics inside a company is, is such cancer. Yeah. And it really, to me, when politics do arise, to me, politics really only exist in the presence of insecurities. And so, you know, and for whatever reason, I don't know why, but to be able to have an environment that's conducive for, like you said, transparency and inspiring people and not having the politics is is huge because then you start creating these sort of sub-circles within the company and it creates a terrible dynamic. And one thing you did, you mentioned is having people come in and be able to sort of use the passion they have from, you know, their personal passion or who they are, who they identify as 
to be able to kind of leverage that and bring it in into the work environment. Right. And there's a quote, and the reason I was looking on my phone and you were probably like, why is he doing this? But there was a quote that I had written down and I thought it was so sort of kind of aligned with what we're talking about. It said, talented individuals are drawn to organizations that continuously refresh their system processes and strategic initiatives in order to deliver sort of in order to delight customers and outweigh competitors. It's a kind of wordy, but it reminded me exactly mm-hmm. what, what we're talking about here. I find that people, when they first come to work for you, they're willing to give everything. Okay. Yeah. And then they have, so I, I kind of say they have an ace up their sleeve. Okay. That they, they can play for you or they can keep for themselves. Right. So you can either, they're willing to play it only if they trust you. So you do have to build that trust up front with them. But if they feel like that their best, that their absolute best is going to be wasted mm. on that company, then they're going to put up a personal facade for what they're doing, but then they're they're going to hold back. Yeah. And so the key is to unlock that greatness in them. Wow. And, unlock the greatness. and so they're like willing that. to play that ace when, when it's needed mm. and to come through for the company when it's needed. And to me, that's culture. Yeah. Wow. That sums it up beautifully. I love that. So talk a little bit about rigor. For those who aren't familiar, describe kind of what the typical scope of work is that you guys do for your clients. Okay. Well, it first and foremost starts with something pretty just mundane and it's a digital field ticket, you know? And so people go out and they do a service or they rent a piece of equipment for somebody and they will have to charge for that. And they're going to produce some kind of ticket for the field so that that person, that, that company manager, that field foreman will sign and approve. And so this digitizes that process. Now that was kind of how it started, that you had a great need for that. Now companies, ENP companies, they are notorious for not wanting to digitize that process because that is an extra 10 to 15 or 30 days of non-payment for them without right. it being considered a real liability yet. And so that's hard to get to get the end user to actually digitize. However, it still doesn't mean you can't digitize a process. That's what we do first and foremost. That is the basis for what we do. Okay. And then we have moved on to really the entire operation. So you have your accounting system and then you have your operations. Okay. So the back office where it's counting and, and HR and all of that, you know, which really try not to mess with that state out of our lane there. We let the big ERP systems do that. Yeah. What we're interested in is the operations, what happens in that shop and in the field. So managing assets, you know, what, what their maintenance is, when they get maintained, all the documents that go into to doing that, where those assets are, how much labor goes into a job. So we track labor that goes, you know, and where it goes, huh. purchasing, whatever kind of, you know, what items you might purchase for a job. We want to track that and assign it to a job. So it's an entire system that that allows you to track all your costs, all your revenue. So at the end of the day that you have a daily revenue, a daily profit. And in my view, you're really not able to effectively run your business in 2021 unless you know your daily revenue and profit. Yeah. No, it's got the more real time. And especially now because the margins are so thin, you need to be able to make real time decisions uh, the, to maximize value. The old days value. we could go and just go to the end of the month. We were thinking about revenue. Hey, you're in sales, right? Hey, all we worry about is revenue. Hey, what's my revenue? This EBITDA, pesky EBITDA, that's <laughs> for the accountants, right? Right. But, but now we all know about that. And even as in, in sales, we're familiar with with all of those terms now. And because you could go to the end of the month and then close and it would two weeks later, you'd find out, oh yeah, we did... 
35% EBITDA instead of 45% EBITDA. So we're going to have to do a few things different. But you really didn't know what was causing those costs to go up or down. So now you don't have that luxury because we're talking about 8% EBITDA, 10% EBITDA, right. or negative 8% EBITDA. And so you really need to know those numbers mm. every single day in order to kind of tweak it, tweak your operations on a daily basis. So, hey, I could save a few thousand here, or a few hundred here, or a few tens of thousands here. And yes, and that's what we do for the client. It's wow. helped them do that. That's amazing. I think that is really what's going to take, you know, companies from good to great mm -hmm. is being able to somehow collect data real time and run these numbers and have, you know, basically understand the health of the business daily. Because like you said, you, you don't have time to let it slip for two weeks, a month, quarter, obviously, it's always crazy. But well, that, and another thing, if you don't mind my interrupting, yeah, no, no, you said go, the, uh, with the fact that we're so, there's a very scarce amount of capital available, you can't go out, an OFS company can't go out and get capital right now. You can't go to the bank and loan and get a loan. You can't, except for just to maybe pay your payroll, just the, the working capital that you need to run the business, but you can't go out and buy a bunch of equipment on credit anymore. And you, it's hard to get investors into the space. And so you have to take that equipment, you have to maintain it. And, you know, there's this concept of maintenance capex. So that means that you're going to have to maintain that equipment in order to continue to do the revenue that you're, you're doing. So it's going to require reinvestment back into to your fleet. And so a lot of that can be prevented or prolonged by just having a good maintenance program. And mm. so so I think that is one of the things of rigor that we're that we're offering is just that preventative maintenance and just to make sure that that job does not go. I mean that that equipment doesn't go on a job unless it's been maintained. Yeah, and help the operations manage that. Whereas before they may have just they may or may not have done it and recorded it or maintained any kind of records on it, and so therefore you don't know if you've actually done it. This gotcha. way you that this way you know for sure. Yeah, no, that becomes even more important as we continue to drive down the energy road and how things are transitioning. And, and like you said, just margins are thin. Capital is hard to come by. The cost of capital is decent, but it's still tough out there. It's competitive. And so anything you can do to, to give you that competitive edge is extremely valuable. If people want to know more or, or get to you know understand a little bit more about what rigor is, what's the best way to reach out to you or the company? Well, the so you can... You can reach out to the company very easily off our website. So rigor.us, R-I-G-E-R.us. Perfect. And if you put some information, I mean, we are a technology company, and so we will we will find you. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, you be you, careful. You go on that website, they're hunting you I'll down. probably show up on your doorstep. How in the world did you find me? Well, you got on our website yeah. and put, filled out a, a form. So, yeah. But no, if you do that, then the process is we like to get to know your business a little bit. And when we really customize the demo, one of the things that differentiates, uh, differentiates us from our competitors is that we are oil and gas only. And so I guess we do have a few non-oil and gas clients, but they're still in kind of the energy complex. And yeah. so we know your businesses and we know how to help you with your businesses. And we will customize like a demo for you. And it and it's not outlandishly expensive software either. It's actually, you know, refreshingly affordable. Okay. And so they will fully customize it for you and help you implement it and and help you succeed. And we kind of, then we're partners, you know, it's like this love affair that begins. <laughs> Michael, he's a very passionate guy and I've seen him. He just, you know, he loves his clients. And 
spends a lot of time with his clients and, and after after we you know after they become partners of ours and so yeah and that's what it takes well look it's been an absolute pleasure but before we hit log off here i do want to take a moment to tell everyone about some upcoming oggn events hey everybody it's savannah from oggn and here are the events on deck for june 2021 this month we have six events but if you'd like the full list you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter we send it out every month and it includes more info about the events that i talk about here We even include events that occurred two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. This month, OGGN will be hosting two events. One is online and one is in person. For our online event, we're hosting a live stream titled Deal Value Creation, M&A and ONG. This is going to be on June the 2nd. And for our in-person event, we're relaunching our happy hours. It's been far too long since we had a good happy hour, so I'm sure plenty of you will be excited to hear that our next happy hour will be at the Cannon in Houston, Texas on June 24th. At this event, you'll be able to meet some of OGGN's hosts and network with other oil and gas industry professionals, all while enjoying great food and drinks. We hope to see you there. Other than OGGN's events, we have two in-person and two online events. First up, we have our two in-person events, which are the Energy Capital Conference on June 2nd at the Omni Houston Hotel and the U.S. Police and Fire Championships from June 10th to the 21st. The Police and Fire Championships will be hosted in multiple locations, so make sure to check out our events newsletter for more information about that. Next, we have our two online events, the first being the Post-Industrial Summit Series. This event actually started on May 4th, but it'll be ending later this month on June 22nd, so there's still plenty to see. And our second online event is the Big Data Industry Summit from June 9th to 10th. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for June. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Great. Thank you. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. Thanks again for joining us today. It's fascinating seeing what you're doing you know, on the personal front with rigor. It's funny because I had Michael Maltzoff on here about a year ago. So, you know, next year I'll have to have someone else from the organization come on, make it like kind of an annual tradition to come on the Oil and Gas Onshore podcast and see how things are evolving and growing and taking over the world. Well, we've got some real characters out there. So Good. Well, that's what I like. You get two Canadians behind the mic and you never know what's going to happen. So it's been a pleasure. But thanks again. And for everyone out there, always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.